it's, I don't want to waste a second. Um, if we could, um, first I want to thank um, Pastor E, Pastor Dr. Eric Mason for, um, amen, amen. And Yvette, who have loved me, Angel, and my boys so well um, through these years to even be here at this point. I lived on Saul Street, right down the street, and every now and again I would sneak up and steal some of Sis's fish or chicken or something she had laying around and got an awesome time to hang out. So I just praise God for the way they've loved our family well and also to be here looking like a stranger going in and out and just to be loved up by all you cats who's been loving on me, the family, and all well. We are at home in Epiphany. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's jump right into this text. Romans chapter 1. We're going to pick up at verse 16 and 17. It's a lot in here, so I can't preach all that, but I'm going to preach what God has given me to do so. Amen. So why don't we flip there? I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right into it. Amen. Father, um, you are so worthy of our praise. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, the earth is full of his beauty and his goodness. So God, we pray now that you would move me way behind the cross, that your word would um, pierce and penetrate the hearts of all those listening, God. We pray that you would ever have your way, that those maybe who don't know you today would be gripped by grace and that they would know you. And those who know you, God, would be encouraged all the more um, in this crazy world to stand up in the beauty of your holiness, knowing that you alone are worthy to be praised. So have your way. Bless um, even this time with clarity of speech and of thought in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Romans 16, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The title of my sermon is, How Shall We Live? Paul had not particularly planted this church in Rome as we, as it, as we understand this letter. He hadn't particularly gone and planted there. He hadn't been there yet in this writing. It is believed that this church in Rome sprang up from other places he had planted multiple churches. And also some, some would say that it was from the account in Acts chapter 2 where Peter preached that headbanger and folk got saved. And, and it says they were from people from everywhere under heaven, devout Jews from everywhere. And Rome was listed in that passage there in, the, in Acts. Somehow God by his providence planted a church there, had a church planted there in Rome. And Paul heard of this church, the gathering of the saints at Rome, and he had a great desire to be there, to get there and hang out with them, to chop it up with them, man. And, and so now he, he begins to, that, that's the history and the backdrop of it, but now here's the content of what I believe Paul is trying to bring out. Paul wants to deliver a message. He wants to reinforce the message of salvation, deliverance from sins, eternal punishment, and union with Christ. 
He wants to deliver that, I, I believe, in the reality that it's needed for all people, no matter who your grandmama them is, no matter anything. So to Jew and Gentile, the core of the message, regardless to a person's identity, sin, or heritage, um, on, in this passage, and I believe through this book, the great doctrine of justification is presented and made crystal clear here. It is said that this is the Magna Carta of justification, the manifesto. Clearly, it is an airtight case for the lostness of humanity and the necessity of God's sovereign intervention. Paul zooms in on the sinfulness of all people, Jew and Gentile, explaining how forgiveness is available through faith in Christ. And in order to experience this life in union with God, it is through their faith in Christ Jesus, apart from works, apart from deeds, period. My first idea as we try to unravel this, we must live with a redeemed resolve. We must live with a redeemed resolve. Paul Paul is well settled in the fact that Jesus was the Christ. That's what I'm saying. Do we live believing that Jesus is the Christ? Or do we, because are we at resolve there? Is that how we do life? Believing and knowing that Jesus is in the Christ. When you read Paul's writings, he's standing on the rock of Jesus and springing off of that. That belief system. That's, I believe, the core of his confidence. And look at verse, as we unpack this, 16 the A section, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. What about this phraseology, not ashamed, not reluctant, not embarrassed, as denoting fear or embarrassment, um, that one's expectation may prove false, be ashamed, embarrassed, to hesitate, denoting reluctance through fear of humiliation, to be ashamed, to be afraid, to lack courage to stand up for. First, the gospel was identified with a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified, brutally murdered, and declared a heretic, a witch doctor, if you will. And the way in which Christ was put to death on the cross was a filthy, nasty way in which they sought to humiliate him and everyone that would ever identify themselves with Jesus. The Romans had no special appreciation for the Jews. Crucifixion was the lowest form of execution. So, so the challenge here is, so why put your faith in a Jew who was crucified? His mom was pregnant before she was married. He, his father, was the, um, Joseph was his stepfather, and for the culture's time, maybe dumb to stay with him, stay with Mary, because that wasn't his baby in the culture. When that happened, when she came up pregnant, apart during the espousal time, Joseph sought to divorce her privately, so now she's exposed seemingly as a harlot. And so the culture's idea now is that, Paul, you're nuts. In the eyes of many, this was an embarrassment to the Jewish faith, that one such as Jesus would claim to be their king and their God. So this dude... Mom, is, mom is, is out there doing her thing, and this guy, he declares his Nazarene, he's from Nazareth. There ain't nothing good coming from Nazareth. How can this dude declare ever to be the Jews' king and God? Maybe at one point, as a killer and condemner of, and persecutor of Christ's followers, Paul was ashamed. Maybe Paul was ashamed. 
maybe at the brutal, violent murder of Stephen. After coming to Christ, maybe he had been ashamed to be a co-conspirator in that death, and many others ashamed. This is what I would, this is, this is, use your sanctified imagination. I'm, I'm putting here the heckler that I would say speaking in to this issue as Paul declares why he's not ashamed. The unbelieving heckler, Paul, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for believing in that weakling Jesus who was put to death. He was powerless over people to even stop his own execution. His followers denied him, we heard. You say that he was, you say that he has authority, he has power to give freedom and everlasting life. He's dead. He doesn't even have eternal life himself. You should be ashamed of yourself, Paul, to teach, to teach such things. Shame, the attitude of bondage and enslavement. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Shame, the attitude of bondage and enslavement, while joy is the attitude of freedom. See, shame isolates and brings avoidance. Let me unpack this. Happiness, temporal and external. The reality of happiness is it's circumstantial. So you, you get happy and you smile, and soon as something goes wrong, you frown, so that quickest happiness is here, it's gone. But joy, on the other hand, is eternal and internal. The Spirit indwells us in our hearts and we are transformed as we have union with Christ that continues for all eternity. Joy comes from outside of ourselves, not based on ourselves, but based on God. Here's my point. You can have joy and not be happy. You can have joy in tears. You can have joy in pain. You can have joy in suffering. Is there joy in your suffering? Is there joy in your suffering? I struggle to have joy when I'm suffering. Not happiness. I'm talking about joy. Jesus had joy in suffering. Often in our suffering, we just complain. We nag. We get angry. God is doing us dirty. We just wish he'd hurry up and fix it. And then after we pray and ask him to fix it, we want him to excuse himself because he's fixed all our problems. Hebrews 12. Unpacks that a little bit. Hebrews 12. Jump there with me. Verse 1. And two, look what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, hallelujah, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God despising the shame. He thought little of the shame. He was willing to put up with the shame. He was not worried about his rep. Jesus looked right through the suffering he would undertake on the cross and he endured it, seeing those whom he loves redeemed through that suffering. And further, he would be seated at the right hand of God. So God saw and looked out at broken people. That's us. And he looked right through that pain. He looked right, he, he endured it. He thought little of the excruciating agony 
that he suffered on the cross. Thought little of the weight of all the sins of all mankind. For all eternity, he thought little of that because he looked out and saw folk that he was redeeming by his blood. There was joy set before him in his suffering. Might we have joy? And our suffering can't be compared with a nasty hill called Golgotha. We suffer because our boss don't want to give us extra days off. Sometimes our suffering is so trivial. And sometimes we have some shown up suffering. Please don't have me reduce it like that. I know we really suffer through things. But know that Jesus suffered through it with full joy with you in mind, with you in mind. He sat down, the Bible says, he sat down at the right hand of God. And that sat down is in the perfect tense. It's pointing to the permanent result of him sitting down at the right hand of God. So we need to rest in the security that Christ, of Christ's finished work provides. No shame but joy. No slaves to sin but free to worship God with our whole being. So how do we live outside of the shame? Free to worship God and trust him and exalt his name without the bondage of fear, without the bondage of issues, without the, 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 the seemingly lack of happiness, but that we worship inside of the joy that is internal and eternal. Now, are you ashamed? Are you ashamed of Jesus? What are you ashamed of? Is it your past sins you have committed and are you yet clinging to and enslaved to? What are we ashamed of? The unconfessed sin that we cling to so tight. Are you holding on to sin in some way? I've done it. It don't work. There's no value in it. In doing so, I never felt free. Are, are we reduced to half of the freedom that God brings? Because half is none at all. Half is none at all. Don't settle for some bootleg counterfeit freedom, but have freedom that brings joy, and that joy only comes through placing your faith, your all, in Jesus who is the Christ, leaving your stuff alone, freely testifying of your sin, so that you're not ashamed, so that you freely worship, so that when we're rocking these banging songs as, these, as the band be killing it, you ain't faking with your worship, but you raise your hand in freedom. You raise your hand with real joy. How shall we live? Free. And enjoy, not ashamed, not ashamed. The gospel delivers us from guilt. The gospel delivers us from guilt. Maybe it was sins committed against you that's making you feel ashamed. Molestation, abandonment, lovelessness. Maybe you've been abused. You know, that thing you're thinking about right now. Since I said that, the thing you're thinking about right now, maybe that's blocking your worship. Maybe that's blocking your view to Jesus. Maybe that's blocking us. Please, 
place all your reality in God's free gift of grace by faith alone in Christ alone. Embrace the reality that he has sufficiently dealt with our shame. It is the blood of Jesus that our shame has adequately been removed. Paul was the opposite. He says, I'm not ashamed. He says, I'm, that, that, that word in the antithesis is, I'm confident. I'm heavily persuaded. Romans 8, look what he says. He, I, I love that. Romans 8, he, he, he's getting into it. I think Paul, was, Paul preaches like a Baptist preacher because he starts winding up towards the end of the book. Look at verse 37. Look what it says. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, the King James says, for I am persuaded. Uh, I think the NLT says, for, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How shall we live? We shall know that we can't be separated. So whatever sins you've committed, for, repent and turn to Christ. And whatever sins have been committed against you, repent and rejoice and know that Christ has settled it once and for all. It doesn't linger like them old bills, them checks that keep coming. When you check your credit, you know, seven years later, that thing when you went to Bally's and never went and they put that $175 on your account. <laughs> that thing will chase you down, boy. <laughs> that cut off notice when you got that phone for that dude who you broke up with in an hour. That $175 early cancellation fee. That thing will track you down. You know, married, saved, about to get a house, and boom, credit score too low. Jesus brings freedom. Clean credit. Clean. And, and he, he doesn't erase it, but he satisfies it. He pays full penalty for the sins we've amassed. He doesn't rip it up and say, we ain't paying that. He says, I'll pay it. He pays full price for damaged goods. Full price for damaged goods. The scratching dent store of life, Jesus has paid full price for raggedy appliances that don't work good, always complaining. He's paid full price for my raggedy self. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. The gospel. I got to keep going. I am not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the reality of Christ's substitutionary atonement. Christ once and for all paid my sin debt. He lived a perfect life I could not live, died a perfect death in my place that I deserved based on my sin. He rose from the grave with power, something I had no power to do. How shall we live? I shall live a life where the joy of the Lord breaks through my struggles in my marriage. It breaks through my depression. It breaks through our anger, through our guilt. Submitted to applying the reality of the cross. The cross is the death of our shame. And by grace, living beyond myself, my sin, and my stuff to declare Jesus Christ is Lord in every area of life. My second idea, we must embrace the provision of the righteous redeemer. So we have to live with a redeemed resolve. That means we have to live from the springboard of Christ's finished work in our life. 
not from the negative going back in the past and clinging to old sin. And now we must embrace the provision of the righteous redeemer. I want to say this, God is the divine initiator of salvation. God is the divine initiator. I I mean, I can't do it. And if, if you live in for more than an hour and a half, you'll realize your inability to do almost any doggone thing. I got three boys, and I've had one sick for three months. And I prayed on my face at his bed almost every night for weeks. I was incapable of bringing him well. And that's when I had my deepest time with Jesus. The reality of my weakness, the reality of my impotence, the reality of my raggediness was exploded in that reality. And that's why I don't struggle with grace alone, (laughs) through faith alone, (laughs) in Christ alone, to God be the glory alone. I don't want it. I can't handle it. I'm so glad somebody handled it. For it is the power of God for salvation. I want to say this also. Christ is fit to save men. His sacrifice is adequate. His grace is sufficient. Remember, everywhere in the scripture where the word salvation, where we see the word salvation, it is set in opposition to the word destruction. There is a necessity of one who is powerful to provide an escape, to provide a rescue from that destruction. By setting forth but one salvation, he cuts off every other trust. John Calvin said that. Paul's unpacking here now power. Power, another thing flowing out of this text is the reality that one's of the culture's take of power. In the Roman culture, the take of power was, um, as a Jewish leader, Paul was given a commission, a committee to corral and connive and kill all those who owned Christ as Lord. Rome ruled and reigned in the land with a powerful army, education, dominating emperor, financial wealth, material wealth. Rome was conquering more and more nations. And at that time, leading in art, philosophy, and religions, that was power when the the world looked on that. They were the most powerful nation in the world, if you will. Our culture, we look at power, we, we, we think of Russell Simmons, we think of Donald Trump, we think of Jay-Z, we think of drug dealers on the block who sell drugs for years and don't get caught. We think of businesses and money and how Bin Laden can be a part of killing thousands of people and still can't be touched even today. Cars, the ability to seemingly have a life of joy and plenty without God. That's how we see power sometimes. Wealth, fame, fans, international platform. I heard Magic the other day say that Kobe Bryant is the best player in the world. What a platform. That's a bad booger, boy. He's the best player in the world. Everybody on earth (laughs) can't beat Kobe in 21. (laughs) That's their view of power. That's the culture's view of power. Paul is unraveling this like a literary master. The thesis thesis statement of the whole letter to the Romans, that the gospel is the power of the eternal God, and this unique power is nothing to be embarrassed about. 
Tell me why you would say, Paul, that it has power. Tell me why I shouldn't be ashamed of this so-called power, Paul. Well, it's, he, he backs up. Go to verse chapter, Romans chapter 1, verse 2, which he promised beforehand, so it's got history. Through the prophets and the holy scriptures, it's got consistency and continuity. Verse 4, and was declared by the Son of God in power. Look what it says. So declared by the Son of God in power to, um, according to the spirit of holiness given by the authority of the Holy Spirit um, by his resurrection, by resurrection power over death. And then verse 11, he jumps and he says, for I long to see you. He wants to impart, he wants to drop on this church a spiritual gift to do what? Something spiritual gift to what? Strengthen you, to give you some doggone power. Then he says, I'm a debtor. And he says, I'm eager, verse 14. Verse 14, he says, I'm under obligation or I'm a debtor to both Greeks and barbarians. Then in verse 15, he says, and so I'm eager. So he's a debtor and he's eager. And then he lands at verse 16 and he says, I am not ashamed because of that. Because of the power of God. He unpacks it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Jump there with verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the, come on, Epiphany, the power of God. It is the dunamis, the, 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 the explosive power of Yahweh. God has set up the gospel in such a way that it would be clear to the world that it was the power of God and not of man. The grandeur of creation, the splendor and greatness of salvation, that no one would get it confused, that no one would get it twisted, that when these broken, hurting humans begin to have this new life in Christ, that it would be a complete work of the triune God. An example, in my emptiness, as a young man, I, as a young believer and even pre-Christian, I sought to fill all that emptiness with drinking, with fornicating, with pornography, with activity, with busyness. And I felt more empty. I then sought to fill that emptiness with not doing those things and trying to be a good dude. And if I didn't do those things, it would fill me up. It just brought me back to equally empty and frustrated. And then I was tired of trying to sin. And then I was tired of trying not to sin. And I just got more and more empty drowning in emptiness I was drowning in, how can you drown in emptiness there's nothing to drown in so that nothingness was drowning me it was suffocating me I was dying and yet living and walking around as if I had life I perfected to lie to live I knew Christianese praise the Lord I'm blessed by the best don't mess with the rest God is good all the time. And all the time, we say that mess and are in full sin on our way to hell. Thank God for Jesus, the divine initiator who steps in and stops our toil 
of trying to save ourselves. When he saved me, the joy and the freedom that came with his grace, I knew for myself that it was the power of God and not me. All my feeble attempts did not work. It wasn't religion or just an emotional feeling. It wasn't just a walk up the aisle to the preacher near the communion table. It wasn't the repeat after me prayer, but it was the power of God that saved me. Thank you, Jesus. We, we, we say this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I love the message take on that. If you only look at us, you might miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in unadorned, raggedy clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. The power of God. The power to move men from sinful hopelessness to salvation in Christ. To be able, to be capable. It may even mean to will. So our sins, no matter how immeasurable they are, are swallowed up in the infinite mercy of the eternal God. Now that's power, Rome. If you think you got some power, now that's power. The one to move a man from eternity in hell to eternity with God, to give him joy on earth, now that's power. That supersedes all money, all wealth, all human gain. The power of God to be connected. He meets us in our brokenness. He goes into our bondage and brings us out. He doesn't stand outside and look, but he enters in and he shows off his power over sin. He shows off his power over death. He shows off his power over shame, over abuse, over struggles. He shows off his power not just to floss. But it's the power of God unto salvation. I want to back up for it is. That word is, it's a little word, but it's a big word. It means it stands. And, it, and in the context, it means it's the power of God. It is, for it is the power. It ever stands as the power. Everyone that will come up will be counterfeit. Anyone that says it's something else is a bootleg. It ever stands as the power of God unto salvation. Salvation, the comprehensive deliverance from sin and death and eternal separation from God. God, the sovereign initiator of salvation, freely gives us this all-embracing holistic deliverance from bondage of death through repentance in Christ. I want you to think about this. To obtain all the benefits of eternal life without the work. Do you get that? I have three boys, 20, 12, and 11. And I remember trying to carry something heavy up the steps. I could handle it myself. I want to say Aaron, my middle son, he was helping me. But he really wasn't. He was like three. And we got it all the way up the steps. And I gave him, I don't know what I gave him, some candy or a dollar for helping me. So we get the reward why God does all the work. Don't you see what kind of father we serve? He does all the lifting. And we get the reward of this great salvation in union with him. Aaron didn't lift a chair. But he got the benefit of this beautiful eternal life.
the most powerful force in the universe is not Rome. The most powerful force in the universe is the, is the creator of the universe. He's the creator of the universe. He breaks through our wealth and people and kings and problems and devils. We used to sing, there's power, power, wonder work in power. The tenors would say, in the blood of the lamb. I remember that song. Y'all ready to sing it now? I got, y'all ain't taking my minutes. How does one experience this power? It's by faith apart from works. To everyone, let's keep tracking there in Romans. It's by faith. How does one experience this power of God for salvation? It's to, for everyone who believes. How do we experience it? By faith apart from works. It implies that all who become believers shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation and that none shall ever fall away or be lost. This is preservation, pre, um, preservation of the saints or eternal security, the P in the tulip. I believe that here Paul is looking through the system and he sees in it a plan for the complete and eternal recovery of all those who believe in the Lord Jesus. The gospel has purpose and direction. The gospel has purpose and direction. It's not God just showing it off, but it's got purpose and direction. This union with Christ is being unpacked here. In Christ, your salvation cannot be intercepted or disturbed by evils and trials of this world. Our salvation is promoted and advanced through such trials. The reality is that these trials are not worthy to be compared with the future glory that God has in store for those he loves. He says on to the Jew first, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first. To the Jew first. I'm going to graze that quickly. Starting with the Jews and then right on to everyone else. First, it means in the order of time. Not that the gospel was any more tailored to the Jews than others, but to them had been committed the revelation of God. The Messiah had come through them, the law, the temple. It was God's order that the gospel should be proclaimed to them before it was to the Gentiles. This was an order of the two, not an exclusion or of the one. There is but one way to be saved for Jew and Gentile, and that's through faith in Christ. Not our family tree, not our lack of knowledge. There is no excuse. It is faith alone in Christ. Jump with me to Galatians 3. As I go to this last point, many know where I'm going. 325. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for it is Christ Jesus. You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you all one. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. My last point as I finish this up. Idea three, by embracing God's righteousness by faith alone, we experience authentic freedom. Righteousness of God, Paul begins to unpack. 
for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness in which God approves or gives. Righteous is equivalent to God's plan for justifying men. His plan for declaring them just in the sight of the law. By faith, when we embrace this reality, it changes how we do life evangelism. It changes how we serve one another. No longer trying to please God by our good deeds. No longer living to please man. Medicating our pain with religion and not Christ. With the Atlantic City gospel, one that says, if I get lucky, my deeds might land me into heaven. Our plan for justification is by our works and knowledge and singing and church attendance and praying a lot, and listening to podcasts, and amassing books, and knowledge, having the fish on the back of your car, having a gospel message on your answer machine. <laughs> Hello? We're sorry we can't take this call, but Jesus is the Christ of the world and Jesus is the greatest thing. So if you want to be blessed, call us back. And while you're here, listen to this Hezekiah Walker music while I hang up. <laughs> God's plan is by faith alone. No additives, no preservatives, no artificial colors, no vegetable oil, sola fide, faith alone. And even faith is a gift from the divine initiator of salvation. Jesus has secured our justification, our acquittal. We are exonerated and accepted because of a loving act, of a loving, sovereign God. It won't be by your own merit, but by God's perfect payment, which is his son. So leave those deeds alone. They don't work. This frees the believers to worship. This frees believers to confess sin openly, to live out the gospel, serving and not performing. It invites us, the gospel invites us to come and be forgiven. A secure life in Christ overcomes my fear. It overcomes my failure. It overcomes the rejection I think I'm going to be rejected with. Abandon all attempts to please God by your stuff. Because in Christ, I am accepted for those that feel rejected. In Christ, I'm not a failure if you failed and fallen down. In Christ, he has secured my eternal success. On the cross, he is our advocate, the righteous ruler. He's the judge's son. He pardons us and satisfies our sentence. It's done on the cross 2,000 years ago on that one Friday in history that saw night twice. He died and with all power and gave it freely to those that would call on his name. No deeds. No deeds. I'm free that I don't have to perform. I don't have to perform. No, whew. I don't have to say it right all the doggone time. I, I, I don't got to sing it in note. I, I don't got to please nobody. I've got to serve the living God who alone has paid. He alone has paid. No deductible. He's paid it all. He alone. I don't know about you, but that frees me. That frees me to love my wife well. It frees me not to give unrealistic goals for my children. It frees me not to lie when you ask me if I read a book and I didn't and say, yeah. Freeze me. 
Thank you, Jesus, for freeing us. For the righteousness of God is revealed. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. He's given, the word for is a big word. He is giving a logical deduction of his freedom from shame. For in it, for. The word for implies that he is now about to give the reason for why, for what he just said. A reason why he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That reason is stated in this verse. Because in it, in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's made known. It's broadcasted over the airways of our heart. How? From faith to faith, as it is written. Faith to faith, simply. Beginning and ending with faith. Faith, period. Faith, period. From beginning to end. The abstract here moves to the concrete. How was one made right before a perfect God? For the Jews, he cuts off the law at the path. So the Jews thought because of the law and they were given the law, they were going to be justified and hooked up in heaven because of that, that was taken out. And for the Gentiles who says, we don't know nothing about this Jehovah, it cuts that off at the path. It is from faith to faith. Down south, we would say from rooter to tutor. That means the nose of the pig to the butt of the pig. <laughs> Ruder to tutor, as it is written. It's not new. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's jumping in Habakkuk. I'm going to jump there and I'm going to finish. Because it's hot and I'm sweating. <laughs> Habakkuk 1 takes us on a journey. To turn to Habakkuk 1. On the journey of the Lord allowing a sinful pagan nation to nearly wipe out the sinful covenant people. Habakkuk pleads for deliverance for people and himself. Look at Habakkuk 1, it, it, the, the subtitle, the title over this is um, Habakkuk's Complaint. Look what he says in verse 2. Oh Lord, how shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Habakkuk's Doug Logan translation. I'm struggling to hang on, God. I've been calling you and you haven't been picking up. Verse 5, look at God's answer. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if you were told. Doug Logan translation, I'm doing a work. I'm the sovereign God. I'm doing this. And if I were to even answer the phone and tell you what I was doing, you couldn't even get it. <laughs> Habakkuk 2.3, he jumps over, and look what he says. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Have some faith. It will surely come. It will not delay. Wait. Continue to be in a certain state until an expected event. That's the Hebrew word. Implying a desire to see the event occur. Wait. It's in the imperative. It's a direct command. In other words, wait. Sit there and wait because God has not forgotten. He's not slow. He's not slack. He's not Johnny come lately. The gospel is unstoppable. The gospel has no breaks. It has no pause button. But the gospel breaks through and comes. It will not be late. The gospel is not scepter, but the gospel is the power of God unto men, for men unto salvation. It doesn't come late. You don't have to you don't have to wonder if it's coming. He said it is. 
The challenge for us is to have faith and believe by waiting and trusting him. When we embrace the trials God allows us to experience, it shapes and grows us. God is not out to destroy you. He's out to build us up. We struggle with waiting. We get mad in traffic. We get mad at the grocery store. We get mad when we're on hold for more than three seconds. We get mad when God doesn't jump when we snap. But it takes faith to wait because it exposes our inability and our powerless to move things faster. Impatience is the normal human response to God's promise to answer his people. I'll say that again. Impatience is the normal human response to God's promise to answer his people. God warned Habakkuk to wait on the promise. God's answer would surely come. It might seem slow, but it won't be late. God had already decided a solution that would reveal in it his timetable, not ours. Habakkuk, Paul, and Christians today are all living between the promise and the fulfillment. In order to live patiently, waiting on the promise, it would be by faith. When we trust in God, he never disappoints our hope because he's determined to protect us forever. Our joy, our safety does not depend on the circumstances of this world. While we're waiting, so while you're waiting, when things go nuts, your joy is not determined by them. It's not determined by the issues. You have to wait. It might seem slow. It might seem like God has forgotten about you. It might seem like it's over and like you're ready to quit and give up. I admonish you like, like, like Paul did. Wait. Like Habakkuk did. Wait. It will seem slow. And I want to say that word seem means it's not slow. It will seem slow. But he never disappoints. The circumstances of this world don't temper the Christian, but Christ does. How shall we live? How shall we live? The word live there is to be revived from death. That's the word zoe. How shall we live a death-revived life? A life revived uh, 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 revive from death with new life, spiritual life, eternal life. It's by faith in the finished work of our loving Savior. Father, we do thank you for your word. In all my inadequacy, might your spirit be adequate to minister to the lost and the found. Now, God, um, we pray even in the as we continue in our gathering, that my babble you would use for as an instrument to make clear your call to all men, and that is to repentance in the name of Jesus, by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, in Christ's name, amen.